Hello and welcome back. You're tuning into RNF Unlocked. It's the final pit stop of the triple header here at the Motul TT Assen before we head off to a well-deserved summer break. My name is Neil Morrison and I'm joined today by my colleague David Emmett. We're on hosting duties and we're delighted to say that we're also joined by Wilco Zinnenberg at his home GP. In today's episode will all be about Wilco's world. Hello Wilco, how are you? Hello fellows, yeah I'm fine, thank you. It's the end of a long slog Wilco, three races in three weeks. How are energy levels for you at this kind of stage of the season? Are you ready for a break or are you still full of, full of energy. energy? Yeah. Well, actually, I have to say, after the situation from Lamar and Jerez that Miguel, of course, was injured, we are actually coming back out of a difficult situation and uh, they are recovering, you know. So uh, I think uh, for Miguel, it's very nice to uh, have a five-week break to get his shoulder back in stronger basically for Raul I think it's uh, would have been nice to continue one or two races more because he's young he's hungry and uh, you know this with his youth he need to be riding bikes also with this arm pop uh, problem is fixed so he needs to ride more but yeah clearly uh, everybody is ready for a five-week break uh, when it shoots it shoots and it's I think for the first time in many years that we have a five-week break. For, for sure, you know that better than me. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, before we get on to, we're going to talk about a variety of things yeah. in today's podcast, about the team and about some things happening in the MotoGP, but since we're at Assen, your home race, you've obviously got a pretty interesting history at this track, Wilco. You were the hero that many people were cheering from the stands for many years, and just before we started recording, you were telling us three podiums, 1990, yeah. 91, 94 some great memories at this track. Yes, correct, correct. So yeah, first of all, we have to learn how to race bikes on this track because it's the only bike track uh, in the Netherlands. So we are very happy and proud about that. And especially in the, in the past, the track was very special uh, with every, um, yeah, Italian or Spanish came over. It was a different racetrack than the rest of the world. Basically, the the banking and the fast corners and the bike was the track was very narrow, so we had a big advantage from that as well. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, you had three podiums here. Which was the most special? Yes, three podiums. So I think the most special one, yeah, was the first one. Basically, I had a broken wrist and then um, I. Uh, did not expect uh, to be on the podium actually because I was injured, but uh, Cadalora crashed in the in the last lap and uh, actually it was given. You know the one who frustrates me the most is the second one because I should have won that one, but I uh, I fucked up basically. <laughs> and there were some different opinions, Wilco, but did they take away part of the circuit's character in 2006? I think it was obviously the, the first sector that we yes. use now. Yes. Very different to what was there before and maybe the final sector that we use now is still has the, the old yes. character. What's your opinion? Yeah, 100%. But, you know, finally, when we were racing here in the 90s, the track was not the permanent track. You know, it was open for the road, and so we could not use it the whole season. So at least we gain a racetrack because, you know, since the track has been shortened and it is how it is now, we can use it every day, every day of the year. So there are positives and negatives. So it's good that the youth can, can race and can ride here and all, all the bike riders. But uh, yeah, clearly the track is uh, a lot different than before. And it's, uh, yeah, it lost his uh, finishing touch, I would say. It, but the, the, southern, the southern section is still the same or almost the same as it, uh, as it was. It hasn't changed so much. There's been a few 
tweaks, but... Well, the layout is the same, but it's five, six meters wider than before. <laughs> so that changed it a lot, you know, yes. it was much more tight. And okay, even saying that, even for the bikes we have now, it, it would have been too tight. Yeah. But in those years, uh, riding this track in the Meewemeer and Ramsoek, when you reduce the size of six uh, meter, or maybe it's even more, we, have to, we can check that. But it was like a, a bicycle road, you know, in the past. So it was very narrow, you have to be very precise. And when you were off the wide line, you did not have a curb. You know, it was directly in the grass, you were on the ground. And there was a lot of banking in, in like the, the build and yeah. Mandeveen Duikersloot. There was a lot of banking corners. The Strubbe was completely second gear and banking. Yeah. So you could create a lot of speed. Uh, and, and not everybody uh, had that feeling because it was the banking and the grip of the, of the asphalt. And even in the rain, it was uh, yeah, fantastic. I think there was also the, uh, like the, the crown that you had on the road. So it, so it was actually sort of like curved. So you had to go, you had to go, I think like a, someone was telling me like Hoogeheide, you would go, you'd have to sort of like almost go up and over rather than just straight on. No, you're looking at me. And yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> well, moving on, uh, we'll go from your home GP. Just a quick uh, bit about the, the team's first part of the year. Obviously, we've spoken a few times before on the, the yeah. podcast. We haven't been the luckiest so far in 2023, but I mean, there's been definite bright spots here and there. Miguel's shown yes. great speed, great potential at certain times. Um, you know, your summary yeah. of it. Yeah, uh, clearly, um, yeah, we have we have the speed, and or we had the speed, or I don't know what to say because, of course, after the injury of the shoulder, you, you know you're in trouble, you know, because finally you don't have the strength. Um, clearly, he has the pace, you know, because in a, in a free practice, many times he's up there with with the best boys, but to qualify and to to make another step uh, during qualification, you also need to have the power to do that, and I don't think he has that yet. And uh, yeah, that, that drops you back a lot because if you don't qualify well at the moment, you're, you're back and you can have a very nice pace. But if you're on 15, you have to pass all these boys who are one tenth or different than you. It's very difficult to, to fight with a, one arm basically through the grid, you know. So um, saying that, um, yeah, we are very happy with the situation where we are on, on uh, performance wise, I have to say, because if Miguel is fit, I know he can be on the podium or top five, at least when he finished, uh, when he was fit uh, the main race, he was uh, at least top five. And of course he throw away uh, the sprint race, uh, the third place in the Portimao, you know, because uh, Mark was behind and he was getting a little bit nervous in my eyes. And uh, he finished seventh. But uh, coming back from that big injury, of course, uh, from Portimao and do directly a fifth place in, in Austin, which was not a real favor of his, uh, yeah, of, of, not a in his favor, that racetrack. And uh, yeah, clearly Xerez, he, he had no chance. Uh, also again, well, bad luck is easy to say, but um, yeah, also he should not have been there. You know, he, he, he messed up the start and he, you're 10, 11, 12, and then you're in the group and, it's nobody's fault, but finally uh, you're on the floor and uh, crying and you need to recover again. This track seems to be, uh, because Miguel was saying, like Saxon Ring, it wasn't too bad with his, with his shoulder because it's going in the right direction. This track is going to be much more difficult. And also much more difficult for Raul as well, even though he is you know, gaining his strength and all the yeah. rest of it. It's still going to be very good because it's such a physical track. Yeah, yeah it is, it's interesting to see. So um, I also... Uh, 
know that arm pump, uh, especially in uh, in Assen, is is quite uh, severe. You know, yeah. you have easy get cramped because with this bike you need to go on throttle, change direction, yeah. and when you close, the bikes are very easy. But you have to have to keep the throttle open, hoogheide, and coming back to the ramshoek is yeah. is, is difficult. And uh, so I, I probably Raúl will struggle a little bit more than Miguel because Miguel was struggling in Saxon ring, but it's his left shoulder yeah. and it's all left corners. Yeah. The speeds are lower, but you're hanging off all the time and, and half raised the, the shoulder did this and he needed yeah. to kind of bring it home, you know, because he said, as soon as I kind of relaxed during the race, it felt like the, the shoulder was coming out, yeah. you know? Yeah. So then, then, you've, then it freezes a bit and then, you, then he said, I could manage, but it uh, was not easy. Let's see, I, I, difficult to say, the, the forces are much higher because the, the average speed is so much higher at this track than Saxon Ring, so the forces are, are huge and uh, yeah, it's difficult to, to judge it in advance, but I see more problems coming for Raul than for Miguel, because picking it up from left to right, he doesn't have a big problem, or not a big, but yep. let's see, and I, I, difficult to, yeah, to judge very well. Well, I know obviously Miguel's had his injury problems, but if we look at the first five races of the year, we saw at least one Aprilia showing the potential to maybe finish on the podium or even fight for victory. Yeah. The last two races, though, Mugello and Saxon Ring, it's been a little bit different. Yes. Even the factory Aprilias have been a little bit far away from the, the front, not where we quite expected them to be. I mean, what's your take on this? Ducati seem to have just stepped it up a gear and yes. uh, the, the others are kind of struggling to, yes. to, to catch up. No, no, I agree with that. So um, that worries us as well, but it's clearly, you know, also suctioning results. It's like eight Ducatis in the top nine. So that's clearly uh, a point of uh, uh, yeah attention, I would say. Uh, it doesn't have a lot to do, in my eyes, with the performance of the Aprilia, but more with the performance of the Ducatis, you know. They're all very good, they make a big jump, and we know percentage-wise also the Aprilia approved, but uh, suddenly if, if there are eight boys in front of you, you're fighting for 9, 10, and 11, you know, so it, it's not uh, that difficult to see. And of course, uh, uh, yeah, last round uh, in, in Le Mans, for example, uh, Maverick was in a very good position, so that race was very specific. He was very competitive. Mugello not. Saxering also he, he struggled. Uh, yeah, uh, Alesh chose the wrong rear tire. That was also quite obvious. So I don't know where he ended up. But at the moment, he is still uh, finishing sixth in Mugello, which I thought was not bad. But uh, yeah, we want to be much closer to them. That is. Quite obvious. It, it seems one of the, um, because of this new format, also like the starts have become so important. We've seen the KTM seem to be, I mean, I don't know what they've got, but they seem to have like nitrous or something. They're, they're so fast off the line. The Ducatis are strong. It seems to be uh, perhaps the Aprilia's weakest point is the start. Is How are you working with that? Is there anything you can do or is it just down to the getting the riders to, to get the timing right? Yeah. It's, it it's the start, but especially the first lap. Yeah. And we know Brad is, is, uh, is together with Darren, they are killers in that first yeah. lap, you know? They position themselves very well. They are not afraid, they put their bike uh, next to the other one. And that's also a skill, you know? You, just, you don't need to be just fast. You also need to have a fantastic first lap yeah. to make the difference. And clearly, uh, Brad and Jack are quite uh, 
two guys who are quite good to do that, you know, because yeah. there are two more KTMs uh, on the grid, but they're always, where they start, they start and they don't make the difference, you know. So when we check the start speed, uh, it doesn't make a lot of difference. It's more from the first corner, second corner, third corner, what makes the, creates the difference. And, and yeah, this is rider by rider, uh, very important. And, and this is clearly uh, not uh, the best skills, I, I would say, from the Aprilia riders. Can you teach it? I mean, that's why, you know, you've got Tour Live here, you've got experience yes. here. Is it something you can teach? Very difficult, because it's, it, go, it goes really um, to your, uh, yeah, main uh, safety issue, or also yeah. you need to judge very well intuition, I would say. Yeah. This is a good... Uh, a combination between intuition and yeah. comfort zone, and being comfortable doing, doing these exactly. things. Exactly, and it's not like, ah, shall I uh, attack first corner around the outside or inside, because you, you, can, you can train that. Yeah. But you need to also cooperate with the others, and yeah. special Maverick, of course, is a very good example. Uh, he always lose five, six, seven, eight places in the first lap. So yeah. he position himself badly or, you know, so it's a skill as well that you need to do that. You can be in the front row, but you should not be 10th after the first lap. And, uh, you know, if you, if you look to the, do the analysis and, and uh, the data from what the first, what the rider lose during his career in his first lap, you learn a lot. And uh, of course, if you, qualify at the end of the grid. Of course, you always be able to gain more than when you're on the first row, you know, because you, it's easier to lose. But it's also uh, a skill that you need to see how they, uh, yeah, protect themselves. And if the guy in front of you, uh, you don't want an outbreak him, you need to position yourself next to him so that you they don't outbreak you, you know? So it, it's, a, it's a skill as well. And you, you threaten, but you don't go there. You know what I mean? You, you wait, but then the next guy, behind you will never go deeper in that or because you will you know you will not make it so at least his assessment after the the german grand prix world cup he said you know he's pretty happy with how the aprilia's performing yeah. but maybe the rate of progress at aprilia from yeah. last year to this year hasn't quite been the same as as ducati and, and certainly ktm yeah is that how you would see it as well is that maybe one of the reasons well yeah they clearly make a bigger step than us and uh, last year uh, they were fighting for the win and and you saw last year they were third and fourth but uh yeah it, it's uh, obvious to see that they make steps and uh but it's, it's difficult to point out ah we should have done this or we should have done that of course they decided to go with the satellite team but the benefit from a satellite team for me will be in the future. You know, they gain a lot of data now and then at the end of the year they will see each race track what the benefits and the negative points were. And of course they did not stop the development because they gave us the 2022 bikes. This was very clear. And they continued the development. And this was, you know, half December we had our bikes and they were building new bikes. So uh, I don't see that as a, a negative point and especially in the future. I. Uh, I really believe, and also, uh, yeah, let's see to Ducati how long it took before they are where they are now. You know what I mean? Because we should not forget that they have eight riders on track, but they also made many mistakes and, 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 and errors to, you know, to, to make the bike new from last year. It was also a disaster, you know, so they, they came back from that as well. So you can make mistakes during the development as well. And, uh, yeah, we should not uh, forget that and even... Uh, 
you know, saying that, you know, the championship is now so close because uh, all the manufacturers agreed that uh, how we were working 10 years ago with 20 liters of fuel and, and uh, the, the, the issues uh, just united for, for, for each manufacturer, you know, and when we opened up, suddenly the Ducati was able to, you know, match what the Yamaha and Honda was doing. So I think they also get the chance to be competitive because they could not finish a race with uh, 20 liters of fuel. It looks like it's gone the other way now. That Honda and Yamaha are really struggling. I mean, you've yeah. spent a long time at Yamaha. You know, you know inside them. Obviously, you can't go too deep into it. Yeah. Can you see where they're struggling? Is this going to be a bit temporary? Like we saw, you know, occasionally factories will have a bad year or, or maybe even a couple yeah. of bad years before they can catch up. Or do you think there's uh, something about the structure of the weekend, the, the the schedule that makes it much more difficult for them to, to catch up? Yeah, um, both sides a little bit. We know the Japanese are very, how do you say that in English? Uh, Thorough, they're very or, uh, conservative. Conservative, yeah, yeah, conservative. And of course, I've been there, but they plan very well, but they're very conservative. We came with many uh, ideas or whatever, but it's all, yeah, you know, step by step by step. And uh, the European manufacturers, they, they try everything. They go left, right, up, down. And, and at the moment, there is, the decision has been made. We will do 21 races and less testing. Yeah. And, and the riders agreed with that because they, they don't want to yeah, ride more. But if there is a, something to ride, they want to race. But the development stops because of that. And if you have only two bikes on the grid or eight, uh, it makes a difference and you need to create space to develop these bikes because uh, now FP1 and FP2 are useless to develop anything because you you cannot uh, compare you know anything if you need to qualify at the end. There's some talk of the the changes to the schedule maybe FP1 becoming just a free practice yeah. no longer timed. And I then... just came out of that meeting so okay. that, that's off the line. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, for for next year this is uh, is an So this, for, so for this year it's yes. going to remain it's yes. going to remain the same then next year though um, yeah. we're going towards uh, untimed free practice one. Yes. Okay. Like, well they will time it, but it's not for. Yeah, exactly. It won't, it, it's, it's not yes. going to count. Yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. going to count. Yeah. So you'll only have the you'll only have the the one session. Yeah. Well, you have said a few times on the podcast this year that you're maybe not the biggest fan of this new schedule for 2023. <laughs> would that be? Would that make a difference if we just took away P1 and as not counting towards Q2? No. No. You, no. you think they need to go a bit further, perhaps? Yeah, I, I think everybody mutually agreed, except Ducati was against it. So I, I can say that because it's a reality. And then, you know, if you want to change something during the season, you need to be agreeing, yeah. agreeing, and, and, and that's fair enough. You know, so they clearly see it different than us. And, and we, we thought uh, it's a, a safety matter because we see crazy crashes and uh, many riders are injured and uh, bad injuries as well. And I think so far we have been quite lucky with with many crashes that nothing more happened so that's why we wanted to change but uh, yeah clearly they said no no all is fine everything is under control I don't know why because I don't think anything will change if FB1 is just a free practice if it's enough I don't know but anyway this is my opinion and I think I'm uh, free to say so would it help if there was more in-season testing if there were more um, you know like it, because next year obviously we'll have three it one day tests in season instead of just two. Of course, this will help 
to develop the guys who are behind now, but even the guys who are coming back. Can you yeah. imagine if you miss four or five races? Yeah. And you need to do this speed. Look to, look to uh, um, Bastianini. Uh, he struggled to, okay, he's coming back, but it's not easy when you miss four or five races. You cannot practice. You just need to jump on those bikes and you need to continue. So that's one thing. But uh, of course, it will not be very fair now suddenly to change and have manufacturers more testing time to prepare their bikes because that's where of course uh, also we need to be mutual agreeing with but for me um, you know the decision to go to more races uh, is, is fine because finally it's all for the show yep. but it, it uh, we get blocked for for many other options which means testing you mentioned some of the crashes that we've seen this year Wilco uh, we saw five of them for one rider at the last race of this <laughs> yes. thing. I mean there's I guess two schools of thought. You could say, one hand, that Mark Marquez at the sanction ring was very brave and quite admirable. He just kept giving 100%, even when it was clear that the package wasn't up to scratch. But then the other school of thought is that maybe he should have accepted that it wasn't going to be his weekend and he needed to take it back. I mean, what, how do you see that kind of approach? Well, you know, Mark has his ambition and clearly he's, a, he's an eight-time world champion because he has this ambition and this, this remarkable physical strength. So that's why he's there. But uh, yeah, luckily he didn't get injured and, and a couple of the mistakes were his own mistakes as well. Uh, second lap, warm-up, uh, is like, come on, you know, let's give it a little bit of time to tire, you know, for sure it was a used tire or whatever, but give it a bit of time to check how the bike is, but don't try to break the lap record in, in lap two, you know, at least when the bike starts to slide, you know, yeah, it was a bit too much of everything, you know, because he lost the front a couple of times, he lost the rear twice, and uh, yeah, I, I can imagine that he, he, he gave up at the end because uh, he tumbled off a couple of times too much, and uh, but it's difficult to accept to slow him down because he will not. And, and he clearly said that our ambition is not to win. Our ambition is at the moment to be six or seven. But clearly he's still pushing this bike uh, over the limit. And uh, yeah, at the moment the, the bike is clearly not ready to do that. Yeah, and I guess that results in injuries, absences and yeah, this may be one of the reasons why yeah. he's missed. That's why we are asking for more track time without the pressure that they have, basically what they are having. Because if you're in uh, not in Q2 uh, on the first and second row, well, your weekend is not over, but it's very difficult to keep up with those boys that are doing a very high pace. You know, So this is the trigger behind it in my eyes, and that uh, creates a, a big issue for the and safety issue for the boys so if you say fp1 is free fp2 is no problem you don't have to qualify for sure they will fit new tires but they don't go uh, with the eyes uh, closed uh, to for a time attack you know because it, it doesn't make sense they go for the fast lap but for a fast lap not for a time attack um one of the things we also saw at, uh, with mark I think especially with the uh, gesture that he showed to his bike where he was uh, not at all pleased with it. Um, it generated a lot of speculation, also, the, you know, five crashes um, about uh, wanting to leave Honda, about, you know, um, breaking over the, you know, basically breaking over the rider market. Also, we're seeing Pedro Acosta wanting to come up. Uh, now, you have your riders uh, in principle... <clears throat> 
nailed down for next year. Yeah. How do you see the rider market developing? Can you? I mean, it, it, there there isn't any room for more teams in MotoGP at the moment, is there? Uh, well, it's a good question, but I think the wrong guy to ask because I, I cannot answer them. Of course, uh, yeah, it, it's it will be very hot, and it's a hot topic if if Mark doesn't follow up his contract. And uh, but uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It is difficult to say. I can imagine that he uh, he wants to create a situation that he gets better for himself because finally he's a winner. Mm. But on the other side, um, yeah, let's be honest. I'm also worried that uh, we all need those manufacturers to have riders. You know, yeah. I mean, so uh, it's already a pity that uh, Kate. Oh, sorry. Uh, 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 yeah, that our boys last year from Suzuki left. Yes, and, and and we need to have all the manuf more manufacturers. In my eyes, is better, and uh, yeah, it worries me if if Mark would leave that uh, that what Honda could do, you know. And this is something that uh, maybe nobody thought about, but uh, that would be worst case scenario. Do you, do you think the series could survive something like that? Will I mean, obviously, we would still have racing, but four less fights. The, the series will always survive. It will always know, survive. But I, I, we need all these manufacturers. We want a, we want a competition, you know, and uh, that's the reality. Uh, do you think Pedro Acosta is ready for MotoGP? Having like seeing him in in MotoGP, do you think he would? Because obviously, like you saw in Fabio Quattararo, he was ready, and you brought him to the team. Yeah. Um, do you think that Acosta is ready, or do you think he he could have another year in March? What would you do if you were uh, if you were his manager? Nineteen. Fabio was also nineteen, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's it. The jump is bigger now yeah. than than it was in nineteen because uh, the, the 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 competition was a bit more spread. You know, the fastest guy were very fast, but in the middle there was a pack that you know the the time lap time difference was bigger. So um, it, he will have difficulty to do what he's doing now and to, you know, to outperform himself and especially what Fabio did, suddenly uh, be top 10 and be po top five and be on the podium in the first year. It's yeah. really hard to do that. So, um, yeah, I, I think he will be ready because he's clearly showing his potential. He's very calm and, uh, yeah, he, he behaves very well for the championship in my eyes. And uh, I think he's ready, but, uh, yeah, to, to perform... Uh, what he's doing now, and uh, he, he needs a couple of years as well to to fight with those boys in the front. Because, you, I mean, right now, he, it looks like he's surfing a wave of confidence, and if you come up to MotoGP and suddenly, you know, you're fighting for 15th, yeah. it takes... I mean, we saw this with Raul as well. Yeah. Raul came up, yeah. uh, you know, he was amazing in Moto2, yeah. and he really struggled in, in MotoGP, and now he's, he's having to build bit by bit. Yeah, no, clear. It's, uh, it's a big jump. Um, yeah, saying that, also we know that uh, KTM has a very strong team in, in Moto2. So, you know, so to, you know, we had uh, Raul much better than the rest, basically, together with Remy. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, as well, Pedro is now much better than the others. Uh, is you know, uh, could be a combination because also Raul, when he, you know, come to MotoGP, he's suddenly also there with world champions directly. Yeah. Yeah. So the level is very high and they realize they need to learn these big bikes uh, to ride and, and electronics and uh, especially the braking is very demanding because yeah these these bikes uh, I think they are used to override their bikes some yeah. way somehow in Moto3 and Moto2 and they still are able to get, get away with that 
But if you do that in MotoGP, it is, uh, you, you put uh, the bikes in so much stress, especially on acceleration and braking the traction, but also in stopping with the carbon brakes, then uh, yeah, you lose only lap time. You need to be fast and, and smooth. You know, this is, this is the trick in MotoGP. And the boys that are coming now around, they are fast, but they are near nine of the time times overriding their bikes. Yeah. And to calm them down, to go faster, that's a trick to learn. And uh, it takes time. I always think of it as the way to going fast in MotoGP, it, it's almost like an exercise in Zen where you have to control and be calm, and the calmer you are, the faster you go. Yes, but still, you need to have big balls to open yeah, that exactly. to open that throttle in the right way, you know, yeah. just clearly close the eyes and open. No, you have to still control the throttle, even though there is a lot of electronics under that wrist, but you need to feel the bike. Uh, if you feel the bike, you can push it, but if you have no feeling, just yeah. think uh, more it. is less uh, or more is more, but it's not always the, the case, you know? And uh, yeah, this sensitivity, they need to learn and that this takes time. So we're almost at the end of our discussion, Wilco. As this uh, podcast is titled Wilco's World, I just want to finally know what is in store for Wilco's World during the five-week summer break. I mean, I, I imagine ah. a lot of relaxing. Um, Yes, actually, uh, I planned uh, with my wife to uh, go out with my van, put the bicycles in the back and, and spend the time in Holland. You will not believe it, but it's true. It's, it's a beautiful country. <laughs> why, would you, why would you not want to go cycling around Holland? I mean, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, true. Yeah. I, I went actually already to Malaga for five days after uh, Jerez. And I went on a boat trip with a, with a friend to Greece, which I never did before and really enjoyed. So I had my... 10 days already in the sunshine and you can see uh, I, I don't need the sun more at the moment so uh, no Holland will be fine sounds lovely very nice indeed well thanks very maybe much maybe around Essen I will yeah it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's full of elderly couples on bicycles yes Elfstede so, um, Tocht on the yeah, bicycle yeah. we did that and I can recommend it yeah yeah perfect we can maybe uh, ask you for some details in our next episode when we get to Silverstone uh, ah, in yeah, August. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that ends uh, RNF Unlocked, uh, the latest episode that we brought to you here today from the TT Circuit Aston. We'll be away from the paddock for a five-week summer break, but we do hope to return with some interesting topics in the next episode. What's in store? Well, we don't know yet, but it surely will be a thrill. Follow us for more interesting contents or comment below and suggest the topics you'd like to hear. Thank you very much, Wilco, and we'll see you next time in Silverstone.